Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. This is Dean Finelli with Politics and Life Science Radio, where we talk about all the factual information in the life science industry and try and tie that into the politics that tends to drive that industry. Uh, We're very lucky today to have as our guest uh, Mr. Alex Koch. Alex is a senior investigative reporter at the Center for Media and Democracy and co-founder and executive director of the Opt-Out Media Foundation. Uh, We'll talk to Alex in a few moments But before we do so, let's talk about what's going on in the life science industry. Uh, Big news from the vaccine industry. Uh, It looks like Pfizer has submitted data uh, for six-month-olds to five-year-olds to have a vaccine available for them. It looks like so far, based on the data that's been reported, uh, it's about one-tenth the dose uh, of the vaccine for adults. Uh, We know Pfizer is the only vaccine that's currently available for people under the age of 18. Pfizer is actually authorized for children down to five-year-olds. So from six months to five-year-olds, currently no vaccine has been authorized. But based on the preliminary data, it looks like uh, the effects uh, of the vaccine, the efficacy is pretty good. And to be clear, you know, a lot of people talk about these vaccines. uh, Any vaccine that's authorized has to undergo clinical trials. So these vaccines have undergone clinical trials. Uh, They have undergone the testing necessary and the authorization from the FDA and CDC. Now, certainly we're doing this on a much more compressed time scale and a much quicker pace, but a lot of the, uh, in the typical FDA approval process, a lot of the elements that are particularly done serially are being done in parallel. So that's one of the reasons things are being Uh, sped up. Another reason is obviously urgency. And when we think about kids, we know that the vaccines are very effective and we know that the virus particularly affects older adults. But we've sort of heard this news about Omicron being milder. And, you know, I think really to be clear, when people say milder, uh, we're referencing Delta and the severity and the hospitalizations and the deaths. Milder does not mean uh, safe or not you don't need to take it seriously. It means milder when we compare it to where we've been six months ago. So I think that's a very important point uh, to think about because a lot of parents, when they're thinking about this, uh, they should not think, hey, my kid won't get it. Uh, Children aren't getting this. A lot of children have gotten it with Omicron. Uh, We've seen the number of cases really go up, the number of hospitalizations go up. Uh, But luckily uh, in children, it is still a low number comparatively speaking, when we talk about uh, those at highest risk, which are people still over 65 
over 75, over 80, those seniors that either have compromised immune systems or, or perhaps some other uh, issues that is affecting their uh, immunity or ability to fight off the virus. So uh, again, good news that the vaccines are now uh, potentially going to be authorized for younger children. There's definitely a need out there. Uh, there's a lot of data that supports the safety and efficacy in children. Uh, again, one of the big issues we heard when we're talking about vaccines, particularly the mRNA vaccines, is this idea of myocarditis, uh, the inflammation of the heart muscle that's been associated in very, very uh, low uh, circumstances with administration of the vaccine to males, particularly younger males, uh, 18 to about 35. Uh, but again, myocarditis is a long-term side effect of, the, uh, of COVID as well. So uh, the risk, when we look at risk-benefit analysis here, uh, certainly the risks uh, of getting the vaccine versus the risks of getting the virus uh, associated with the virus far outweigh uh, in the favor of getting the vaccine. There's a lot of unknowns still out there with the virus. So, you know, again, good news that uh, the vaccines potentially will be available in the near term to children. Uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, recently. Joe Rogan has been in the news of a lot of information or misinformation out there. Uh, and, you know, what is the role of, of people out there? Uh, you know, when we look at Joe Rogan, uh, I don't believe he's got any type of medical training uh, or science training, for that matter, that would uh, put him in some elevated category of expertise when it comes to vaccines. Um, I don't even think he's a journalist. I think uh, he's a blogger. So, you know, the question that that rises is, you know, to what level of misinformation or do we put a different standard on someone? Uh, you know, it's one thing if we're hearing a politician say, you know, I'm not going to take this vaccine because it's unsafe. Uh, it's completely different, I think, when we hear uh, you know, an individual that's just expressing their opinion. I'm certainly not condoning, you know, people going out there and saying some ludicrous things. But what I do, you know, kind of have the question is, do we, you know, is there outrage? Is this real outrage? Or is this just people trying to get attention? You know, when we hear about, uh, again, some of the things that Joe Rogan has said recently, you know, a lot of them, you know, we know that they're not true. Uh, and if it's, audience wants to look like, listen to that information, you know, what role does society play? What role does his network um, that uh, produces him play in uh, preventing this spread of misinformation, especially when we're talking about an individual that, you know, is not speaking from a authoritative position uh, when it comes to, you know, having a background in science and medicine, et cetera. So I'd like to bring on our uh, featured guest today. Uh, our guest is Mr. Alex Koch. Alex is a, um, as I mentioned, senior investigative reporter at the Center for Media and Democracy and co-founder and executive director of the Output Media Foundation. Uh, Alex also co-authored uh, the report, How the Coke Network Hijacked the War on COVID, and tells the story of how, the, how corporations bankrolled uh, a campaign, started, how that started, and how it's continued to supplant public health experts and hijack the governmental response to the pandemic. So certainly a lot of misinformation out there we know about. Uh, very lucky to have Alex with us today. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, really glad to be here. So the, the first question I have for you is, you know, there's so much misinformation out there. I think a lot of 
Americans now are, you know, consider themselves maybe semi-experts in vaccines and viruses with all the information. To what extent, you know, when we hear this misinformation or false information, you know, should we just roll our eyes and, and you know, say, oh, that's just obviously false information or, you know, especially when we're talking about this Joe Rogan situation, you know, what responsibility does he have not to put this information out there? Well, he is apparently the most popular podcaster in the world, uh, which makes him incredibly powerful. And, you know, as, as you and I know, being in the media ourselves, um, the media is, is extremely powerful um, and can really impact society. So someone with a gigantic platform that he has has a duty to fact check his guests. If they're going to come on and make outrageous, unscientific claims about the vaccine, about masks, about COVID-19, um, he has the duty to uh, to fact check them and and make sure his audience you know knows that they shouldn't be trusting this person. The problem is Joe Rogan a has never had an interest in fact checking his guests, and b as you said I don't know if he'd be equipped to do do so if he wanted. He, he as he's not a journalist. You're correct, and he's he's a podcaster. He's a comedian. He's a very gifted mixed martial arts announcer. Uh, I don't consider him a journalist, however. Um, and he's he's definitely not part of any kind of journalism network or kind of um, you know society of journalists that has standards for reporting, um, and I, that's generally fine. I'm I'm all for you know independent people going out there and starting podcasts. You, you have one yourself. I actually have one too. Um, but you know the problem it becomes problematic when when you have a large following and you're impacting society, especially with something so. You know, it's a deadly virus that we're talking about. You know, this isn't this isn't just some kind of opinion. I mean, this should be based in science. Yeah, and what, what I mean, I, I agree with all those points. You know, there's so much misinformation out there, and I definitely don't dis disagree with you. But to play devil's advocate, you know, to what extent do we, you know, are his listeners? You know, we we know who Joe Rogan is, and to what extent are his listeners, you know, assuming the risk when they listen to him that hey, some of this information you know, I have to go back and double check, you know, what responsibility uh, do, do his listeners have any responsibility in there? Because, you know, it's one thing if he says it, it's another thing if people are actually relying on what he says and going out and, you know, taking ivermectin or taking drugs that uh, have been shown not to be effective or as effective as the vaccines. You know, is there some sort of when we juxtapose those two views next to each other, uh, where, where do you come down on that? You know, is there any, do his listeners have some role in this? I mean, ideally, you know, every listener would be uh, skeptical of what they hear, would have the tools and the time and the means to do their own research. But that's just not the case. I mean, a lot of people, you know, have jobs, they have families, they're, they're not journalists themselves, they're, they don't really have the time to do research, and they shouldn't really have to. Um, I think, you know, at the expense of sounding like a Luddite, um, you know, the internet has really made misinformation spread uh, incredibly faster than before. Um, and, and frankly, you know, it's pretty difficult that we're kind of in the soundbite era where, um, you know, people mostly just read headlines. They listen to very short clips or watch very short clips. Um, if they're listening to a whole podcast, you know, good for them. Um, but, you know, the, the, the issue is there's so much media out there. There's so much distrust in the government, uh, distrust in the other side of the political aisle, um, that it's really difficult um, to have, I think, kind of a consistent system where people are able to get the truth. Um, and, and frankly, you know, I'm not sure what the answer to this is. Um, but I do think that, you know, private companies like Spotify, um, 
as in they're not tied to a government, um, can do whatever kind of censorship they want. And I think when you have, uh, you know, this giant podcaster who, unfortunately, you paid $100 million uh, for his archives, um, you, you do have a responsibility to your customers, um, maybe a bigger one than Rogan has as a podcaster, um, to, to make sure that you're not spreading dangerous misinformation. And clearly Spotify isn't backing down. Apparently their investors kind of bailed them out the other day uh, and the stock went up 12% during this, this you know, fiasco with Neil Young pulling his music and other artists following it. Um, but, you know, if we're going to live in this kind of capitalist free market system, um, you know, businesses have the right to do whatever they want. And it's just unfortunate that they're so invested in this guy that they don't want to pull his stuff. Yeah, that's what it seems like that, you know, there's just, I mean, a lot of these issues seem like they come down to money, unfortunately, or as you mentioned, you know, which side of the aisle you're on. And, you know, that's why I, I you know, on the one hand, you, you clearly what he said was not factual information. But on the other hand, we've become sort of this nation of, of tribalists that, you know, we tend to go in the direction of what we want to hear. And those, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, not to be insulting, but tend to be intellectually lazy. As you said, we, we look at headlines and just fill in the, you know, the, the facts based on what a headline says. So to what extent, you know, is, is that an issue? Because, you know, you have a lot of people out there that just seem to, you know, already have this opinion and are just listening out there or worse, actually looking for misinformation to reinforce, you know, their own false beliefs. Yeah. You know, I think all this stems from, a mistrust in government that is really pervasive uh, in the U.S., especially on the right. And, um, you know, I'm an investigative reporter. Um, I, I certainly don't believe everything the government tells you. Um, but there are things like established science, you know, um, two years of, of data on COVID, a year of data on the vaccines. Um, it's pretty clear that the vaccines, you know, as you said in your intro, are, are quite safe uh, for the most part. Um, they have saved tons of lives. Um, if, if you take the vaccine, you're a hundred times less likely to die of COVID than if you don't, that's a recent stat that I saw. So, I mean, look at those odds, you know, it, it's, you have to be detached from reality to, to be skeptical of the vaccine at this point. Um, but I think, you know, the, it really does stem from this mistrust in government that's kind of been brewing for a while that, you know, the Trump era uh, certainly pushed the right more to, in that direction. Um, I don't think Democrats have really helped very much lately, uh, given they've done hardly anything for working people uh, once they have control of Congress and the White House. But, um, you know, because the government is endorsing this vaccine and, and had put a lot of money into the R&D for so several vaccines, um, a lot of the people who already are predisposed uh, to you know, mistrust the government are, are going to sort of associate the government with uh, you know, pandemic response and, and with vaccines. And so that's, that's kind of priming people to already kind of maybe just need a little bit of a nudge from, from someone like Joe Rogan or, or a Republican politician or a conspiracy theorist um, like, like Max Blumenthal at the gray zone, uh, just to sort of push them over the edge and, and, and kind of basically uh, reassure them that their perspective is correct. We're talking with Mr. Alex Koch, senior investigative reporter, at the Center for Media and Democracy and co-founder and executive director of Opt Out Media Foundation. Alex, the last question I want to ask you, and I appreciate you being here, these are great responses, is, you know, we hear a lot about advocacy and journalism and, you know, tying this in with misinformation and, and factual information. 
how do we, you know, let me give you an example of, you know, this whole, did the virus originate in a lab in, in Wuhan, China, or is it naturally occurring? And I think, you know, there, there, I think the answer is we don't know, but I think there are arguments on both sides of that, but we have seen that in certain cases, you know, the, the Wuhan lab theory has been categorized as misinformation. To what extent, you know, do you or journalists, you know, draw that line there with what's misinformation and what's we just don't know yet? Because there just seems to be that, you know, it's one thing and, you know, I'm not against advocating in journalism, but it's another thing, you know, we were talking about Joe Rogan not being an expert. Uh, you know, many journalists, you know, they're not medical doctors, so the information they're receiving uh, is, you know, from their backroom uh, experts, you know, to what extent do we draw that line of, you know, okay, this is, could be misinformation. It could just be, we don't have enough information or it could just be, we don't know. How do journalists, you know, draw that distinction between those? Well, you know, like anything else, um, there's going to be good journalists and mediocre journalists and bad journalists, but you know, a decent journalist is going to do their research, talk with you know, credible experts uh, have multiple sources for anything that they state as, as fact. Um, these are kind of, you know, normal standards. Uh, Joe Rogan, I can guarantee you, is not doing that. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, it is incumbent on reporters to get this right. And I think there's plenty of really good science reporters, health reporters who um, have been reporting on it. I also, yeah, my impression of, of the this sort of uh, this, this Wuhan laboratory theory is that the issue is not resolved. Um, I did notice from the get-go a lot of people who tend to want to demonize China anyway were, were kind of quick to jump on the bandwagon that, oh, you know, no one's saying it, but really, you know, maybe it, it really could have come from the lab. I think it did. Um, we just don't know. Um, it's, it's certainly possible, but, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone should really, until this is really considered fact, I don't think anyone should really take a strong stance on either side of that. You know, as you say, it's just, it's not really proven yet. Um, you know, uh, journalists and, and the people, I think, reading their work uh, should be able to differentiate between, you know, something where there's, it's just not decided yet, uh, and something where there actually are lots of credible facts pointing towards one conclusion, but they choose to believe the opposite for whatever reason. Alex, thank you so much for your time today. This show was, when we started Politics and Life Science, the genesis of this show was based on a lot of the misinformation out there and we wanted to provide uh, an outlet to provide factual information for people so i appreciate greatly uh your insights on this and it was great to have you with us and uh wish you all the best and stay safe and stay healthy well thanks a lot yeah it's, it's really great questions happy to come on again and just for your listeners you know if you want to read our story uh, you can find it at exposedbycmd.org uh, it's about how the coke charles coke network uh, was some of the initial uh, impetus for a lot of this misinformation that was sort of motivated by profit um, to keep people working in the factories. Uh, but yeah, thanks again for having me. Thank you, Alex. And thank you for joining us today. We'll be back next week with more information in the life science industry at Politics and Life Science. This is Dean Finelli. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.